1982, I was 17 years old, and I was sick. I was really sick. For weeks, I had had a fever. I could not keep food down. I kept losing weight. I was in pain all over my body. I couldn't even hold a pencil. It hurt so much to grip a pencil between my fingers. Every day, my mother would load me into the family van, and she would drive me to the doctor for another round of blood work, another piece of diagnostic tests to rule things out, but they could never diagnose anything. About a week of increasing weakness, worsening symptoms, and weeping whenever I moved, I was admitted to St. Jude Hospital to the pediatrics unit. I think it was probably the oldest one, but I was in the pediatrics unit at 17. Each day, my mother would come to the hospital to be with me and to talk to the medical professionals who would come to take blood, to take me down to nuclear medicine or to radiology. I had bone marrow extractions. The next day, a spinal tap was scheduled. And then I started turning blue because I wasn't quite getting enough oxygen. I was very ill, and they tried so hard to figure out what was wrong with me, but they couldn't figure it out. Every day, my mother would come and meet with the doctors and nurses, and she would try to get answers for what was wrong with me. This was not the first time for my mother to have to go through this. When I was three, I was also terribly ill and in the hospital for a month that time, again, without a clear diagnosis. I was a pretty sick kid. What I need to explain is this. My mother is an extreme introvert. I mean extreme introvert. She would actually pay me to make phone calls for her because she hated calling strangers so much. What is remarkable for me to remember is how she pursued information on my condition, how she talked with professionals that she felt inferior to at that time. She pushed them to find something new about what was wrong with me, and she showed up every day, in spite of having three other children at home to take care of, to advocate for me and my care. What I didn't understand at that time, but I do now, is how fierce a parent's love can be for a child. There is not anything we would not do for our children, for our grandchildren, for our nieces, for our nephews. We would literally die for them. Today's story is a story about a mother. It's a story of borders and boundaries and barriers Jewish and Gentile, male and female, clean and unclean, Israelites, Canaanites, leaders, and followers. Today, we walk with a woman who breaks so many barriers in her persistence to seek healing for her daughter. And as a result of her persistence, she quite possibly turns the tide of Jesus' understanding of his own ministry. Now, I imagine this woman has tried everything humanly possible to help her daughter, a daughter who's been unwell for so long, a daughter who is possessed by a demon. And now she hears of this man who has healed people in Galilee. Right away, Matthew calls her a Canaanite. It is an ancient term, 
Mark at least calls her a Syrophoenician, which is a little more friendly, instead of a term that stirs up old grudges between Israel and the people they warred with. This woman has so many things against her in her time. She's a mixed race, Syrian and Phoenician. She is a Gentile. She is a woman. And she is a woman who is traveling with no man that we know of, which was incredibly dangerous in that time and really could have been misunderstood. Jesus had left the place that he believed he was called to. He crossed into the district of Tyre and Sidon, the land of Gentiles, the place that just five chapters previously in Matthew 10, he had instructed his disciples not to go into. Go nowhere among the Gentiles. Why would Jesus already be crossing boundaries that he had set up for his disciples? Jesus now leads his disciples into what one writer calls pagan land. I imagine a very surreal carnival scape here with deep-fried lobster on a stick or mixed-material clothing kiosks or perhaps win a ring toss and get a cloven-hooved animal to take home for supper. Well, you get the idea. This was not the place a nice Jewish boy should be going into. But Jesus goes. As soon as Jesus steps foot into the district of Tyre and Sidon, the Canaanite woman is there. Scripture tells us just then. He barely gets across the Phoenician border and up pops this Canaanite woman. Jesus had not even had time to recover from his debate about what is clean and unclean with the Pharisees. He was retreating from them. Perhaps he needed some space. And here's another person wanting something from him, needing something from him, begging for something from him, shouting for something from him. None of us like getting yelled at, I don't think. But a mother yelling for help for her child is a particular kind of yelling. It's a cry of desperation. The Canaanite woman's pleas, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by demons. She might be yelling this, but at the same time, the content of her address borders on worship. She recognizes him for who and what he is. Lord and Son of David, a Messiah. Ironically, she recognizes this at a time when the religious leaders absolutely refuse to entertain the idea, and Jesus' own disciples do not fully grasp that Jesus is indeed Lord and Messiah. What does Jesus do when this woman cries out? It's puzzling. Nothing. But he did not answer her at all. The silence hurts a bit. Why doesn't he answer her? Could it be he needed time to think? Could he be dwelling on the discussion he had just left in Galilee, talking about what is clean and unclean in his proclamation that it's what comes out of your mouth that it is important and that you should be concerned about, not what you eat and what goes into it? Maybe he feels it's best to take a moment to think about his answer before he responds. Whatever the cause of his quietness, his disciples jump into the breach. 
Send her away, for she keeps shouting at us. Again, this is a troubling image. A distraught mother following those who have been known to heal, begging for help, following them along as they walk, calling after them again time and time again, and the men telling Jesus, send her away. She keeps yelling at us. But this woman, she's tenacious. She is a mother. She will not rest until she has exhausted every avenue of possibility. She persists. Jesus then says, not so much to the woman, but to the disciples who are complaining, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not really an exchange between the Jewish man and the Canaanite woman, but it is all this desperate mother needs. She slips her foot into the small wedge of the crack of the door to try and push for her heart's desire. But she came and knelt before him. Again, she takes the posture of humility and worship and utters the words, Lord, help me. A mother begs, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Any way you emphasize these three words, it's a plea. Now, some people believe that what happens after this is a play on words. Jesus finally engages this woman in dialogue, and there is a matching of wit between the Canaanite woman who actually bests Jesus at his own words. But instead, what if we saw that what follows is a much more profound and radical conversation that is a huge catalyst for the future of Jesus's ministry? It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. There's no way to make this exchange pretty or into cute wordplay. This is a woman who is desperate for help. And the response is not even really a response at this point. We understand the context. This is a woman approaching a man. That's bad. This is a Jew and a Gentile. Bad. But while Jesus does not explicitly call her a dog, the implication is there. She is everything that is unclean and other. But Jesus has come to her district. Jesus has not sent her away. And while he has not addressed her needs right away, he has somewhat obliquely spoken to her. Why is Jesus there? If he is sent to the Israelites, why has he left them to venture into pagan land? Could this be the Holy Spirit moving him to new places, to cross boundaries to, that were not even imaginable to him a few days ago? Now, we often solely focus on the fact that Jesus is fully God, except maybe at Christmas. And we often forget that he was also fully human. He had to learn things just like we do. He had to discern the will of God just like we do. He had to act on the Holy Spirit's promptings just like we do. Jesus and the Canaanite woman are in a parallel struggle. One seeks help for her daughter 
and the other one is seeking to understand his mission better. The two responses we hear from Jesus are about what not to do. But what is he to do? If it is what that comes out of us and our hearts that makes us clean or unclean, not the list of rules and regulations that we had been adhering to, then is it possible that others, not just the Jews, are to be welcomed into the kingdom? Perhaps Jesus' use of the word for domestic dog instead of wild dog mirrors his internal cultural shifting about the Gentile. Could he be broadening his taught worldview to a fuller understanding of his mission? Dale Bruner says this, Jesus is confronted with his own definition of the will of God, taught as recently as the first half of this chapter. Persons are of primary importance to God. Even devout traditions must not be allowed to hurt persons. Is Jesus putting his devotion to God's mission ahead of this woman's person? The bind is this. If Jesus heals the woman's daughter, the Gentile world might come rushing in, and Jesus' concentrated mission to Israel would be diluted. For the way to the Gentiles is through, not around Israel. Or so Jesus, until now, has believed. In a fairly short time, we hear Jesus tell his disciples to not go anywhere near the Gentiles. To then, he's venturing into their territory and into their cities. And then to the Great Commission in, in chapter 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, blessing and baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is quite a journey. Jesus is realizing his broader mission. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This persistent woman's response puts herself and her daughter in the house with Jesus. In her humility, she may, she may be under the table, but she is in the house and she is worthy of nourishment. She persists in believing that her daughter is worthy of being healed and that they are both worthy of being at the table by the simple fact of their personhood. There is no meekness in this woman's approach. There is boldness. There is an audacity to run after Jesus, to loudly proclaim his divinity, and to believe with every fiber of her being that this man, yet God, is the one to heal her daughter, that this man is God. Jesus exclaims, Woman, great is your faith. Jesus does not exclaim very often. This is a big deal. Jesus is amazed at her. It is his turn to yell out, to exclaim. Was her recognition of him an incredible and pleasant surprise to him, especially following another run-in with the Pharisees? Finally, someone who gets it. And who gets it? A Gentile. A woman. A Syrophoenician. A mother. A mother who refused the disciples sending her away. She persisted through Jesus' somewhat discouraging comments and initial silence. She believed that Jesus was who she heard him to be. 
and she acted on that belief. As a result, she hears the words she longed to hear, ran to hear, yelled to hear. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. You feel the relief of the tension from this story in this moment? And while we feel relief from this tension, this is also a really hard story to hear sometimes. It's hard because we all have things that have happened in our life where we have tenaciously pursued God, begged him, wept with him, sought after him with every ounce of faith we could muster. But we don't always get the ending we dream for, hope for, pray for. This is not so much a story about the ending. It is about the seeking, the process, the calling after God, the running to Jesus, the faith despite the possible outcome. This mother's spirit, tenacity, determination, and persistence is what I choose to hold on to. What do you choose to hold on to? Here is the good news. Here is the gospel. Know that the mission of God is still unfolding. Know that Jesus crosses borders real and imagined to be with us. Know that we can all be in the house with Jesus. And know that we have a place at the table.